Hey, it's John Reed. I'm live at AdvoCamp. I've commandeered another really lovely room. Joseph, Jeff, this is a really nice surroundings we're in, huh? We are uh, 20,000 leagues under the sea, I think, in a dungeon. <laughs> it feels that way. A very nondescript hotel room, but we're at a very interesting event called AdvoCamp, which is this burgeoning field of advocate marketing. You were the keynote. And I'm reading off your bio here that you are one of the most sought after consultants, speakers, and thought leaders on innovation marketing, new media, and social media. Well, that's a mouthful. Right. It also means that I wrote my own bio. So, yeah. um, but, but uh, yeah, I've spoken in 32 countries. I think Slovenia this year will make it 33. Nice. Um, so I, I get around. Yeah. And you've been in the, the headlines a little bit yourself by some. Uh, sort of commentary on on Trump and how Trump fits into some of your theories about zero. Zero is a super interesting concept, and you hit on that a lot in your keynote. So maybe we could kind of go there first and see where this takes us. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll take a step back. And uh, in in my third book, Flip the Funnel, uh, I wrote about three case studies. One was uh, USAA, one was Zappos, and one was Obama 08. Um, and the central premise behind Flip the Funnel is is retention becomes the new acquisition, how to use existing customers to gain new ones. Right. And so at the time, candidate or presidential, hopeful um, Obama, uh, mobilized his advocates to, to the, and activated them to you know, volunteer, knock on doors, really take an active role and interest in, in creating that movement. Right. Um, in, in some respects, one might say that's what, uh, what's been happening with Bernie Sanders. But then I realized having written zero, zero paid media as the new marketing model um, in a perfect world, why would you need to even buy, why would you need to spend a dime buying attention if you were paying attention? Right. Um, but also this idea of, um, you know, earned media in this particular case, being the be all, you know, being this incredible amplifier, uh, put differently, you know, we rent media, but we own assets. Right. Um, so zero becomes an acronym for zealots, entrepreneurship, retention, and owned assets. Um, and isn't it better to be a landlord versus a tenant, um, to own and monetize your own marketing. So I realized, you know, and, and, and I've, I joke, which is when I wrote my article and then in this keynote, if you really want to know what I think about Trump, just go to my Facebook page. Right. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. But but without passing judgment, one has to just look and say this phenom, this uh, incredible rise uh, where almost, you know, any rhetoric or vitriol seems to just kind of, um, you know, bounce, <laughs> bounce off him and, de and be completely deflected. This is a quintessential case study for zero paid media as the new marketing model. Now, what I will say is, you know, the Z of zealots is really the cornerstone of Trump's uh, marketing push, uh, knowingly or unknowingly, wittingly or unwittingly. And what I did say in my keynote today is zealotry, if you will, versus advocacy. The zealot is the spark, is... Right. That, that ignites potentially the raging forest fire. But advocacy is the vessel that contains the fire, that right. channels the fire, that focuses the fire, and that keeps the fire burning and, and ensures that the spark and the passion endures. Um, will Trump become the president? Um, most people still don't believe, but less people than... You know, less people don't right. believe than at the beginning. Um, 
but I think it's really, I think we have to just, uh, if not give credit where it's due, just at least make the observation that this is zero paid media as the new marketing model in effect and in action. I remember huddling with some European colleagues, very smart observers who were incredulous that Trump was going to get anywhere. And I tried to explain to them, and I wasn't really totally onto what you're onto, but I, I could see that he was able to step into the media circus and essentially manipulate the media rather than sort of most people it's like, oh, I said something objectionable. Now I got to go through the shame spank tunnel and apologize. And he just managed to move way beyond that and sort of have these people sort of in the palm of his hand. And that was what I thought was going to start carrying it. Because as you point out, all those people are carrying your message. You're not paying for that. Yeah. And, and you know, the, um, the, there really is content and context associated with, with Trump as a, you know, almost like as a social anthropological experiment, uh, if you will. But, you know, I think one of the interesting things is, and I said this in my keynote, uh, I've done a, a lot of work with uh, companies like Satmetrics, Net Promoter Score. I'm a big fan of Net Promoter Score. And the fact that they statistically could prove and create this correlation between the answer to just one simple question, how likely are you to, are likely are you to recommend uh, to a friend or, or family member, whatever the case may be, uh, and link that to profitability. But the thing is, even, you know, we, uh, Joe Chernoff just said it uh, beautifully now, he said, don't collect advocates, you know, like they're, right. like they're data points or that they're all equal. And I, I kind of made a similar point, which is um, I, I almost dissected promoters or advocates. And I said, well, uh, what if instead of detractors, passives, and promoters, what if you could apply that same lens to promoters? And so created this idea of, of detractor promoters, which I call defectors, right. uh, passive promoters, which I call dormants, and then promoter promoters, which are the zealots. So yes, every single company, B2B, B2C, small business, medium business, large enterprise, every single one of them has to be able to activate their advocates. Right. Um, but the place to begin arguably is the zealot is, you know, literally and figuratively your customer that is prepared to permanently tattoo your brand on their body. You know, as I said, the zealot, the religious zealot fell on their swords and drew their own blood for what they believed in their passion. Yeah. And, and, and so isn't that a tattoo, drawing your own blood for something you believe in? It is the ultimate. I mean, obviously with certain brands like Harley Davidson, you can trace those tattoos back a long time. But for the most part, that doesn't happen. I remember writing many years ago, I actually called him a corporate whore at the time, <laughs> but it was an individual, pardon the language listeners, but it was the individual um, who tattooed a polo on his chest. He kind of made waves at the time because it, no one had thought of this notion of sort of self-branding corporate brands. But in a way, it is an analogy for what you're talking about. Like those are the people that are going to go the extra mile for you. And and what I think for the listeners who aren't here, I think this this category of advocate marketing, I think what what they're trying to change see what you think about this. I think they're trying to systematize it more, right? So that you've always had in certain brands, these passionate people, but they were just kind of out there and they might say something from time to time, but you never really pulled them in and said, Hey, you know, uh, we want to recognize you. We want to get you further involved. So that seems to be what this is all about. Right. Right. And, and look, you've got little, th this is almost a, a cocktail for, 
competitive advantage and, and differentiation and success. And it's part advocacy and part influence and part customer service. Um, you know, Jay Bear spoke about hugging your haters. They're all pieces of the same puzzle. And when you connect and link them together, it's a very powerful um, output and outcome. And so, you know, in my keynote, I also spoke about this idea of you need, companies need to have a plan and a policy in place. Um, I'm glad I'm not too close to the mic with all those Ps. Yeah. Um, to, you know, be able to deliver programs, there's another P, um, to your 80-20, your to, your, right. to your power customers. You know, the 20 or the 12 or the 10% of your customers responsible for a disproportionate amount of your revenue. Right. Then, and, and let's call that customer centricity. Then you've got influence, which is the 1% of humans responsible for 99% of your buzz from bloggers and external bloggers. But it's, it's where those, those two um, overlap, the Venn diagram in the middle, the people that buy you a lot, your customers who are also influential and talk to talk about you a lot to a lot of people. And my point was twofold. One, if they have a voice, well, get out, get the hell out of the way and let them talk. If right. they don't have a voice, turn the funnel into a megaphone. But then I followed that up with this point, which is your most credible spokespeople are your employees and your most persuasive, persuasive salespeople are your customers. So if you can actually implement against that, both from a from an employee centric and a customer centric perspective, that is as close to the silver bullet of marketing as we will ever get to. And I joke that Flip the Funnel, my third book, is the best book I'll ever write, uh, even though I've written four and hope to write more. Right. Because I just think, you know, is it the best? Well, it's like a child, right? You know, you never have a favorite child. You love them all equally but differently. Um, and zero, in truth, extends a lot of this thinking and actually is better thinking because some seeds are planted in flip and funnel. I've, I've been allowed to nurture right. and expand on, but I've got to just keep coming back to this idea that, you know, without our customers and our employees, we are nothing and we have nothing. So everything else is just window dressing. Right. But isn't this message still pretty disruptive to a lot of marketing folks? I mean, I got to tell you, I deal with a lot of marketers. If you, like what you said yesterday, you said in a perfect world, the paid media ad budget would be zero. That would still blow a lot of people's minds as of today, in my view. And, and we've seen it, though. I mean, you know, Trump was an extreme example today, but uh, um, there's so many examples. Um, Jeff Bezos, uh, one of the most famous examples where he cut his entire television ad budget to zero and he moved all of that money into free shipping into his customers that that's that that's one of the that's ground zero in a sense that was the moment or one of the moments where we actually saw i think a uh an inflection point a tipping point for amazon that put them on the map and created you know sometimes i say in my keynotes or my workshops what's your amazon.com moment because that was a moment for jeff bezos and and then on other fronts when we look at um uh I had one slide today that said uh, start a customer movement. But in other presentations, I actually talk about start a customer MO-VE movement because right. I use uh, Movember as a case study. Um, again, 
zero paid media. And you can see all the ice bucket challenge. Um, two examples in, in, right. in a certain category, but demonstrating the power of zero. And, you know, obviously we, we say, well, that's great, but, but what about, you know, the software business or what about, you know, banking? And, and, and the reality is there are lots of examples um, across the board where companies are maybe not decreasing because, because the point was, you know, and it's right there in, in your statement, in a perfect world. Well, the world is not perfect, no. which means we're going to continue to have ad budgets, but isn't it a better place to start you know, in terms of the authentic air we breathe, the water we drink, what is natural human to human, as Cisco's calling it now, that seems to be a better place to start and a, a more authentic, more credible, and, and certainly and certainly a more efficient place because of the low uh, initial investment. And, and I'll say one more thing, which is, you know, we spend money on prospects, on acquisition, on, as I right. call it, strangers and prostitutes. We invest our money in our customers and in these customer-centric ecosystems and in customer service, customer experience, and ultimately advocacy, because it is an investment. Mm. You also said another, another catchphrase from your, your keynote was, instead of paying for attention, uh, start paying attention. Just was pay that attention, yeah. Uh, what does that mean, the pay attention part? Well, it means everywhere around us there are moments, uh, there are moments again, let's use that phrase moments, where a customer says something uh, and we don't respond or we ignore them or a suggestion comes in or we, we just haven't created uh, systems that allow us to capitalize on creativity suggestions or, you know, turn haters into lovers, um, you know, to use Jay's thought uh, or thought process, which is based on on very solid marketing theory that says, you know, a, a, a customer that's very dissatisfied with you, if you can turn them around, will not only become loyal, but they'll become your most loyal customer. So paying attention versus paying for attention um, is paying attention to your customers in general, mm. is paying attention to your employees. Um, but it's also those moments. And, you know, I don't want to have to use the Oreo Super Bowl tweet um, in terms of, because it's not that. It's not just about... Uh, real-time marketing or speculative or, you know, opportunistic marketing. Because mm. it's still the concept of marketing from an acquisition and a reach and an awareness standpoint. Paying attention is, is a moment to connect, to surprise, to delight, um, to serve. You know, I think Joe Chernov spoke about that idea and he said the best leaders are servants. What a right. great concept when it comes to uh, brands being servants and and actually flipping the concept of being corporate centric customer centric you know by definition means you are a servant i play with words a lot like the word cult you know right. lives in the word culture but the other thing is customer service or service or servicing customers right flip the words around and 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 if you talk about customer service, why not public service? Why not providing a public service to your public? Why not be a public servant? The example of Dove's campaign for real beauty, to me, was a public service. It was an example of customer service because the opposite of service is disservice. 
And we do our customers a disservice when we lie to them, when we exaggerate, when we use hyperbole and generalizations um, to mislead them um, and to try and con them into a sale. So paying attention is, is, is you know, wake up and smell the tea leaves and, and recognize what is real and what is fake. Right. But isn't there a little bit of a dark side to this aspect? I mean, I, you're preaching to the choir to a large extent because all my ventures, our latest venture, Diginomica, we've paid maybe, I think, $60 in paid marketing, a couple of Facebook ad experiments, and we've been able to establish ourselves within our enterprise domain solely on the basis of, of earning, essentially earning attention, which I love as a model of like, I have to earn your attention, I have to earn your trust, and when I share value with you, then we start to create a relationship and all things are possible. And I love that model, but the dark side to me, you know, you use Trump as sort of, in a sense, one example of validating your thinking, but there seems to be kind of a, a herd or mob mentality that can develop around this as well that is a little bit alarming. I mean, I've seen it on the Sanders side as well to some extent, which is you, you get these people, your zealots in a sense, these throngs of people, I don't see a real high signal conversation. I see a lot of anger. I see a lot of noise. Isn't there a, a downside to this? Uh, in the political context, um, you know, one might say that Obama's campaign was built on love, certainly built on hope, and Trump's has been built on hate or, or anger, let's say. Um, so, yes. Um, does it make one right and one wrong? Um, subjectively, of course, but it depends on whose side of the fence you sit on. That's why I said... Well, we can take an even more extreme example. When in Mark's opening keynote, he talked about how ISIS have been extremely adept at using these tools. And I thought that was pretty gutsy for him to bring that into the conversation. But I think it's something that has to be reckoned with. Well, what I'll say is, you know, first of all, there is a fine line between love and hate. And the zealot is... You know, in many respects, I use an extreme example to then triangulate right. and be able to kind of back off from in terms of saying, well, that's, if you, if you understand the framework, then you can operate pretty liberally inside the framework. But you've got to know where the boundaries are sure. and where the borders are. Otherwise, how far is too far? So the zealot loves you until they don't, and then they hate you. Right. Um, and, and the more they love you, the more you stand to lose if you, if you betray them, in a sense, if you let them down. So mm. that's the important point here, which is, mm. so the, you know, the, the question is, in a, in a perfect world right now, um, you know, one has to be said, and again, trying not to take sides, but, but what I will say is um, zealotry in of itself, as an end unto itself, is unsustainable. It is. It is. Um, it it cannot survive, which is why I showed that five thousand years of civilizations have all crumbled. There isn't one Ottoman, Ming, you know, um, Roman, um, you know, even Nazi Germany. You look at all of these these dynasties; they all rose and they all fell. Um, and and so, I think the point, the takeaway here is the zealot is um, has to be housed and contro not controlled, but has to be kind of uh, focused through something that is a little bit more 
uh, mainstream in this case or more grounded, and that is advocacy itself. So the initiative, the call to action, you know, so to make this grounded for people listening is how do you activate the advocates? Well, you do that by formalizing and scaling advocacy. You've right. got to create a program. You've got to have process. You've got to have some methodology. Right. You've got to have community. These are things that in a way, you know, you can be, it can be raw and unfiltered and unstructured to a point, but it is not scalable and it is not sustainable if it cannot be ultimately focused and harnessed and, and, um, and mainstreamed in a sense. Right. And, and this isn't a commercial firm fluidive, but I, but I think the point of this event is that there should be companies that help customers to systematize this and manage it more because you make a really good point, which is you think in the web 2.0 sort of context of all these companies that aroused our passions and our loyalties and then ultimately brutally disappointed us either because they couldn't sustain their business model I think of a company like Delicious where I'm still kind of hanging on, but I'm so bitter about some of the things they've done. Or or even Twitter, when Twitter changes things like its algorithm or its mm -hmm. API and alienates developers. And and the point being like that there's fallout there if you can't follow through on that passion in a way that earns the trust. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I mean, wow, Delicious. That, uh, that is a blast from the past. I've yeah. heard that name in ages. But yeah, I mean, what I did with um, Flip the Funnel is... So I took the traditional funnel, which goes from you know wide to narrow, and then my flipped funnel, which is narrow to wide, and then I put I connected them and I created the marketing bow tie. Yeah. And the marketing bow tie, I've been told, is the first um, complete framework, marketing framework from acquisition through retention and ultimately loyalty that has ever been created. If you think about it, there isn't another framework that says from A to B via C or from A to B to C. And when I look at the bow tie, there are a couple of interesting points. One, it's not really, it's not a well-tied bow tie because ultimately the vision is that the flipped funnel should be bigger than the traditional funnel right. because of the long-term efficacy and, and optimization that will take place. But the bow tie is very zen. So on the left, which is acquisition, for, most elements of sales and marketing, um, awareness, et cetera, are the promises you make. But on the right side are the promises you keep. On the left side is what you say. On the right side is what you do. On the left side is a production budget. On the right side is a human budget. And ultimately, as you keep going from, you know, exploit to explore, um, you know, what you realize is making good on our promises I mean, first of all, again, it's like, as I said, this is common sense. Mm. If you make a promise, keep a promise. The second part to that, that, that's the most basic element. The next element is it's always better to under-promise and over-deliver, at least right. versus over-promising and under-delivering. You probably don't want to, you know, intentionally always under-promise in order to over-deliver, but that's a lot better than, right. than, than the opposite. And so you can actually almost put together these rules of engagement that say, you know, this is what is totally unacceptable for us as a company. And every company is different. That's why, as I said, you know, the equation, um, you know, involves this customer-centric ecosystem and employee-centric ecosystem powered by technology uh, is designed to connect the dots. 
between employee and employee, between employer and customer, and ultimately between customer and customer. And, and the real winners will be the ones that not only can do that, but they can create these free, um, the fluid um, and, and um, loosely controlled conduits where people connect with other people without being monitored or spanked uh, if they get out of line or penalized if they take too much time on a phone call to right. solve a problem uh, or moderated or censored or whatever the case may be. Those are the kinds of, of um, uh, business systems that require equal amounts of technology and humanity. And I think that was a big takeaway from this conference as well, which is, as I said, don't hide behind technology. You can't, how do you scale humanity? Well, you don't do it by automating intimacy. You do it by finding the balance between humanity right. and automation, if you will. Yes, absolutely. I interviewed CEO Mark Organ of Influitive on the first day, and he talked about AvoCamp, the goal behind the conference being to create a category. So this is not a user group conference, which is typical for companies like his. He wants to create a category, and he, he almost likened it to Tesla and what they're doing with electric cars, where they're openly sharing data with competitors and information because they want to build a category. He wants to build a category around advocate marketing. Do you think that can work or, or like, what do you make of this? Because marketing, I, there's so much push towards the marketing suite and, you know, one size fits all and buy your marketing solution. I won't pick on any vendors in particular. Do you think this can succeed as a discrete sort of category? I mean, the only thing I would say to that is why hasn't it been done before? Uh, and the great ideas are those um, I was saying to Jay as well, Jay Bear, who just wrote Hug Your Haters. I was like, I just, I can't believe no one's written a book about that before. We've always spoken about it, which is, you know, um, I mean, we, we turn a customer around, customer service, et cetera. But, but the great ideas uh, are so uh, simple uh, in terms of looking at it and go, wow, that's so simple. I could have come up with it. And then you follow that up with a, damn, why didn't I think of that? And so, you know, creating a category, I mean, uh, my day job is connecting startups and brands and, right. and, uh, and from an innovation standpoint, um, being able to, you know, ask these simple questions, which is, well, what if Kodak acquired Instagram? Might they have survived? Or what if Blockbuster had invested in Netflix? Yeah. Why, why aren't brands with $500 billion of marketing not realizing that they themselves you know, could uh, outspend the entire venture capital, uh, you know, community um, with their with their Super Bowl commercials, so to speak. So, you know, the simplicity, the creating the category. I mean, that's what we're trying to do: create a category that says brands, you know, have a right to play in the technology space. In the B two B space, we're seeing it with the con the rise of Martech. So. You know, in, in, in the B2B space, we're seeing it with the rise of account, you know, account-based marketing and focusing on key accounts. So advocacy, absolutely, you know, from a B2B standpoint is and should be in that top three, if not number one in terms of priorities. Mm. So I guess that would be a yes. That would be a, res <laughs> that would be a resounding yes. And, yeah. um, you know, as I said, why hasn't it been done sooner? So, you know, cre First sell the category and then sell yourselves. It's, well, the amount of attendees are growing dramatically every year, so we, we may not be stuck in this room and, for too long. And, uh, 
and unbelievable keynotes, truth be told. I mean, you right. know, present company excluded. They, they kind of, you know, they must have won a booby prize by getting me. But, um, but wow, like Dan Ariely and Keith Ferrazzi and, and yeah. Daniel Pink, uh, you know, et cetera. Well, we can't, we can't praise Daniel Pink yet. He might fall on his face. He's, he hasn't delivered his keynote yeah, yet. Yeah, it's but. true. He's, <laughs> he's going to deliver the campaign that says, uh, you know, why Mike Huckabee was the uh, perfect, uh, <laughs> and be like, ah, oh, I don't think so. Well, yeah, it's, I, I will say it's been kind of, you know, interesting how we've, uh, politics has been a common theme and a thread. Right? Um, and, uh, I mean, Mark spoke about ISIS and so, you We've know, been able to do it without killing each other either, which is yeah. I mean, I mean, good. I'm pretty sure the NSA is swooping down on, on <laughs> us as we speak. But but I mean, it, it's it's been interesting times to kind of because this is this is the conversation that has got us all yeah. enthralled at the moment, and to draw parallels and um, you know and and connections, I think is is kind of key. And so this is a great group of people. I am classically a B two C marketer. Um, but it's been a really great journey for me to embrace or be embraced by the B2B community, um, just like customer service. I mean, right. what the hell did, what right did I have to start talking about CRM and IVR and, you know, in the whole business? But I think sometimes the industry needs ignoramuses, <laughs> you know, that, that can... Because, because you know, the well, and jesters and fools. And, yeah, well, I, yeah. I guess I, I think I'm probably <laughs> equal parts. But you know, if you think about this as a kind of a, a takeaway, that maybe maybe eighty percent of the problem is we're too close to everything. We're so engrossed uh, and sucked into the minutia of our day to day, um, putting out fires, unread emails, politics, dysfunction that we absolutely don't see the forest for the trees. Use a whole advocamp, mm -hmm. a whole camping analogy. Uh, and yes. so the perspective that comes from taking a step back uh, by being objective, by sometimes bringing in an outsider or even a child to go, wait, why does the funnel get smaller? It, it makes all the difference. The innocence and the naivety on the one hand um, causes us to realize how stupid we are and how imbecilic you know, we act. The other thing is coming to an event like this allows us to recharge and, and, and invigorate and almost rededicate ourselves to what it is we do and why we got into the business in the first place. At least I hope it does. Right. So in the camping analogy, is Trump the bear? Trump, Trump Disrupting is... Disrupting the campsite? Yeah, Trump, Trump, is, uh, Trump is, <laughs> is the grizzly is the grizzly bear and uh, I'm just going to make sure my innards are still inside when he's finished with me. But you make a point because I think the politics... is the star of the movie, of The Revenant. Well, true that, too. The politics outside that are using the same dynamics we're talking about here to energize communities, it creates kind of a jugular sort of sense that the world is changing, but in, in a very profound way, but that it also, in, in a more focused way, we can apply this to our mm. business success. So it's kind of interesting to draw those connections. Oh, I, I completely agree. And and what I... It, it, it is... Uh, a microcosm in I mean, it is a, it, it's a bubble in of itself. And I don't mean a bubble is in a bubble bursting, but it's so self-contained. It has a term, it has a life. One wins, one loses. You know, one turns around and says, well, paid media worked well for us. And the other one goes, paid media, you know, is the most worthless investment we ever made because we lost. Um, and so I completely agree where, and of course the politics of politics 
you know, versus the politics of business um, with spin, with PR, with, uh, you know, saying one thing, but doing another thing. So the parallels are, are unbelievable and incredible. And um, it's allowed us more, and, and most importantly, to your point, which I think is a fantastic one, uh, the disruption. You know, now people are talking about the rise of a new party. You know, um, you know, we talk about our resistance to change and our inability to change. Mm. Um, we look, you know, in this country, I may have a funny accent, but I am an, an American citizen in case people are going, what the hell, what right does he <laughs> have to talk about this? <laughs> but, but, you know, we go back and we live in the past um, and, and we cling to our constitution. But ultimately, as many comedians have pointed out, when we talk about amendments, they're called amendments, right? You realize that they were amendments to the constitution. Right. But the point is, the real important point is, is change and disruption. And so from this, from chaos comes order, from uh, complete tumult and turmoil and, and chaos comes uh, maybe a better sort of evolution. That's why I called my company Evolution. Right. Because, you know, the... I always, I sometimes end my presentations with this idea, which is how do you kill a dinosaur? The answer is you don't, evolution does. Right, well, that's an optimistic note. Before we wrap, I do wanna let <laughs> not, you- Not if you're a dinosaur. <laughs> well, right, yeah, I guess, are we the dinosaurs in this analogy? I don't know, little... dinosaurs, bears, uh. campfires, <laughs> you know, mixed metaphors. I do wanna give you a chance for, to finish a, sh a, a shameless plug time around your, your company. Uh, why did you start this company and what do you do? Well, I started Evolution because um, I just saw this incredible, incredible business opportunity for companies um, to become more agile, to become more entrepreneurial, to maximize the potential of technology, digital, social, mobile, emerging technology, and specifically how by collaborating with early stage startups. So again, the idea of what if Kodak acquired Instagram, might they have survived? But it's allowing brands to find their mm. startup soulmates and startups to find their brand soulmates and truly creating a win-win between Madison Avenue and Mountain View, between startups and brands, uh, between marketing and technology. And so... So would your company essentially function sort of as an agent role? Yeah, we're kind of the agent, matchmaker, consultants. Okay. Um, but, but the idea is, I mean, what we do in essence is to connect uh, leading brands with early stage startups to solve real business problems. So that's the important mm -hmm. phrase, not just because it's the next big thing or a bright and shiny object or a fad or a meat market now, it's to absolutely solve real business problems. And brands have real business problems in terms of resonance, relevance, uh, you know, awareness, perception, um, advocacy, uh, conversion, you know, community, um, the hardening of customers uh, and the resistance to traditional forms of marketing. So mm. for me, the problems are mounting up on the brand side. Um, and, you know, as the, as uh, it's a cliche, but insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. This is a different approach that, but that has to uh, achieve a different, you know, substantial profound result. And that's what we do. Excellent. Uh, before we wrap, I should probably give a brief shout out, Mitch Joel, if you've made it to the end of this podcast. Mitch is sort of the reason I know about you because uh, I listened to some of your podcasts, yes, on my iPod. Um, and 
you actually got Mitch into podcasting. So the legend goes, he might deny it now. No, I mean, Mitch, uh, Mitch kind of, uh, Mitch got himself into podcasting. He, uh, <laughs> he, you know, approached me to be uh, a guest co-host or permanent co-host. And I was like, dude, just go do it yourself. And he did. And, uh, six pixels is, um, truly a, you know, breathtaking and a, a best in class uh, podcast brand. His work is, uh, you know, I often say the student has become the teacher and he's just fantastic. So, you know, this was one of the easiest things in the world, which is he has such a, a, a great voice and a clear voice and a strategic voice. Um, and he's inspired so many people. And, uh, and a fussy intellectual curiosity to get at the little nits that are so important in conversation. Well, I love our great. I love our debates now. Yeah. Mitch and I, we try and do about one a month now together. And, um, you know, enjoying the conversation, I defined conversation is between two or more sides, not two or more people. So debate um, right. is so important. Um, there is, I, I almost, if I, if I stand on stage and I'm just preaching to the choir and I'm just telling them what they want to hear and giving and telling them stuff they already know, I'm a waste of space. Right. What's the point if I'm not challenging them to, to totally. be better, to be smarter, to, to, you know, uh, get away from out of their comfort zones. That's what Mitch and I do when we have these monthly debates is we, we argue sometimes we're being devil's advocate. Sometimes I'm just taking the opposite side right. because otherwise, you to know, to be an insufferable prick or whatever. And further I mean, that. that's Mitch. I'm not, you <laughs> oh, know, right. I, I'm, I'm, no, absolutely. I'm, uh, you know, just an absolute darling to everyone. The clash of ideas, right? Clash of clans. That's what people want um, to hear. No, you know, and, and it's, we always, uh, we always end up, uh, probably like back on the same page. So that's why we keep doing it. Okay. One final question. I was noticing that you don't produce as much video and, and audio content as, as you once did. Have you become disillusioned with those mediums or is it just because your day job is, is a big time thing? No, I've just, I've literally just been too busy and, okay. uh, and, uh, I, I, you're scaring me for a little bit there because I'm, no, no, of, I'm, I'm, I'm big into media. So I get I'm, scared when people back I, off. Look, I was one of, I started blogging and podcasting in 2005. I still have my blog. I still have Jaffe juice TV. I still have my podcast. I just don't have the time right. uh, at the moment with, with everything going on. And, uh, but you know what? I served my role and my purpose, which is, which is also to, you know, be earlier on that other people have followed right. and, and to be able to do, that's why I'll, I will always, I will never say no to something like this. That's why I still do it with Mitch. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just, it, it takes a lot of time. Like, Absolutely. I mean, you know, your rig is a professional rig. Uh, I've almost taken the, the opposite approach, which is I'll just, you know, take out my iPhone and say, all right, let's just start recording yeah, yeah. Uh, in a sense. But then you have to like, uh, upload it and, export it and import it and you know so no much respect to everyone doing it and then listen i do a lot of running and uh i listen to marketing podcasts while i run uh the amount of times and the amount of countries i've been in where i've heard my name mentioned on a podcast sometimes completely randomly or and i just smile and i'm like i'm running in buenos aires and someone's talking on the beancast about joe jaffe who said this and I think like, wow, isn't it amazing? Here I am at the bottom of the world, so to speak, at the opposite side of the world and, or Sydney, I'm running past the Sydney Opera House and I hear my name and it's like, it's, it's like, I wish the people, I wish there was a way 
that that people like Mitch, for example, when he hears this, assuming he does, that your ears start ringing or turning red or, or feeling very warm to know that someone so far away and maybe three months later has been touched by you. Um, right. Podcasting is so intimate and, and so special in that way. Well, I'll send him a ping with a timestamp so he doesn't have to listen to the whole thing. To yeah, just, to the, just lead him, the spoon, spoon yeah. feed him. He's, he's a busy executive. Well, that's a good note to end on. Thanks for your time. It was my pleasure. Take care.